Welcome. This is EIG, Milwaukee's philanthropic community, with your host, Jill Economo, on News Talk 1130 WISN. Good morning, everyone. Thank you for joining us today for Milwaukee's philanthropic community, where we highlight people and organizations who are doing great things and making a big impact in our community. I'm your host, Jill Economo, Director of Community Outreach at Ellen Becker Investment Group. What we're going to be discussing on today's show is a community issue that affects a staggering number of people. The senior couple who lives next door, the young children in the neighborhood, or the family waiting in line at the grocery store. We're talking about hunger, and it's not an issue that's isolated to third world countries. There are people right in our community who don't have enough food. In fact, one in seven Wisconsinites, including one in four children, struggle with hunger which, by the way, has increased nearly 60% as a result of the pandemic. Wisconsin is one of the nation's most abundant agricultural states, and yet there are many children, families, and seniors struggling with food insecurity. We're going to talk today with an organization that serves over 50,000 people a month, with over half being children, about 9,400 being seniors. They deliver 12 million pounds of food, all healthy, all free of charge, to 70 food pantries, soup kitchens, and homeless shelters in Milwaukee County, and they're supported by over 16,000 volunteers annually. Pretty impressive. So here to shed some light on this topic is my first guest, Sherry Tussler from the Hunger Task Force. Welcome to the show today, Sherry. It's great to be here. Why don't you start with sharing a little bit about the work that you've done in Milwaukee, and more importantly, why you do it? Sure. Sure. I came to Hunger Task Force uh, about 24 years ago, and I love my job and um, every aspect of it. Hunger Task Force is an anti-hunger public policy organization that also operates a food bank, a farm. We help people sign up for food stamps and WIC. We're involved in school meals. Um, We just do amazing things to make sure that people get access to food when they need it. And if you think about the problem of hunger in Wisconsin, it is truly troubling. We grow so much food. Um, We can feed 30 developing nations, and still so many kids just in the city of Milwaukee are going without, and it doesn't really make a whole lot of sense. Yeah, and then you hear about the number, uh, the amount of food that we throw away on an annual basis. It's in the billions, and yet we have a food insecurity issue. You know, how do you reconcile those two? Sometimes it's hard to to think about that. Um, I see the words free and local on your logo and all your signage. Tell Tell us about that. Well, Hunger Task Force was established back in 1974, and we decided that we couldn't end hunger by charging people for food. And that's sort of one of the best-kept secrets about food banks across the nation is they charge the food pantries to receive the food that gets donated. It's called a shared maintenance fee. It's kind of like a Sam's Club, but we decided not to be a Sam's Club. We are free. And so the food that we collect The money that you give us to purchase food, the food that we buy, all goes out 100% free of charge. We deliver it directly to the door of the food pantry, the soup kitchen, or the homeless shelter so that they can feed the people that they need to help. Okay, and again, you you don't directly feed the people. You're going to the organizations that feed the people. Exactly. We're the bank, and the organizations are the ones that are directly serving people. Okay. Uh, Most people identify hunger relief as feeding people, as we talked about, in the distribution of food. But what does it mean today to to feed the people today and end hunger in the future? Well, we should be in the job of putting ourselves out of business. 
Jill, both you and I can probably remember a time when we were in high school and there weren't a hundred food pantries dotting the metro area. Back in the 1970s, people could graduate from high school, get a job, buy a house, have kids, and be pretty worry-free. There just weren't that many poor people. But now, our economy is sort of built off of a service model where wages can be incredibly low and people can't make ends meet and they have to rely on charity for assistance. We don't want to create charities and confuse people to the extent that they believe that charity is the answer, when indeed sound social policies are the answer, living wages are the answer. I mean, if everybody had enough money, they would never visit a food pantry. Right. They'd right. just go to the store and buy their food, right? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. And so what we need to do is think about how people earn money and what the wages are that they have, and can they sustain their family on those wages. Well, so tell us more about that second piece of your mission. And, and why that makes you unique? Well, um, because we're not just food banking. We are um, working to make sure that people get access to the food share program, which is the uh, nation's largest emergency food program. People can get food share. They get a debit card. They go to the grocery store. They buy food. That's a better idea than a food pantry, and it's better because it helps our economy. It helps our food industry. It helps trucking. It helps the people who work at the grocery store. And so that's the normal way to get food. Another normal way to get food is when kids go to school. Nobody questions the fact that we have the National School Lunch Program and we feed our kids lunch, but some people still question, why do we have school breakfast? In Milwaukee, school breakfast is served universally to all children. But that's not true across the state of Wisconsin, and there are entire school districts that don't even offer breakfast. If we provided children with breakfast, they would be more prepared to learn. They'd have Mm, better educational outcomes. One day they'd be a better employee. Mm. And so it makes sense, and it's normal when a child is in your care to feed them if it's a mealtime. So we work on making sure that schools that can and should provide school breakfast because they have a lot of kids living in poverty are doing that. Hmm. Well, you mentioned the truckers, and it just made me think about um, some things that are going on in the news. Um, Are you guys affected in any way by um, the effects of inflation? You know, you talk about how inflation is at uh, hovering around 7.5%, but they talk about how the CPI is most affected by food and gas and shelter. I mean, do you guys bring that into account? They, I think it was the Chronicle of Philanthropy that talked about how nonprofits today have to build that into their plan moving forward because they're affected so greatly by it. Yes, our job is to respond to those very issues. And so even when there was a recession back in 2009, we could feel it in the total number of people visiting food pantries because all the pantries have to report the total number of people they serve so that we can allocate the correct amount of food to them. And so what's going on right now with the economy changing and prices elevating for both food and shelter is you're going to see more hunger and more homelessness, and that's troubling. But our job is to respond to that by making sure that we can sustain the amount of food that people need if they get into that crisis situation. Hmm. Okay. Well, I said in the opening that uh, Hunger Task Force serves about 50,000 people a month. That's that's not uh, uh, a year. That's per month. Um, Tell us about the people. Sure. Um, They could be that senior. Um, We've spent a lot of time in parking lots these last couple of years because of the pandemic, serving seniors who are driving through, looking for emergency assistance. That senior was getting $16 a month in food share at the beginning of this. 
Mm-hmm. They're now getting about $200 a month in food share thanks to emergency allotments. Um, but we also give them something called stock box. And that box is a box of pre-packed shelf-stable foods that will help them sort of stretch their budgets. We combine that with something called the mobile market, which is pretty awesome, um, where they can go on board and shop. Um, and they can get fresh and healthy foods. Um, so I've seen a lot of seniors in those lines. Okay. Um, during the summer months, we see a lot of kids. We're out in the parks. Yeah, sure. And kids are running up and grabbing a sandwich and going to play in the waiting pool or on the swing set. And it really brings me a lot of joy to think that there are more than 300 parks, clubs, and schools that are open serving those kids to make sure that their parents can make ends meet. Yeah, and it's one less thing they have to worry about. You know, right. about having a lunch or, or, you know, where's my dinner going to come from? You know, so that's wonderful. Uh, you mentioned children and seniors as two of the specific populations you serve. What, what programs do you offer that serve those groups specifically? Well, kids in particular, it's called the Summer Food Service Program. And uh, Hunger Task Force is part of what they call the Milwaukee model. And so we organize all of the groups that serve kids, not just in a social service like a Y or a Boys and Girls Club, but we also um, work with the meal providers who create the actual food that they deliver. We work with the Salvation Army, who brings food to the street, literally. And so we make sure that literally 300,000 meals can be served over the course of 12 weeks in the city of Milwaukee. Mm, That's fantastic. Wow. Um, Well, Hunger Task Force certainly has some tried-and-true programs that have been around for quite some time, but you guys are also known as an innovator. Uh, We're going to take a quick break, but when we return, we're going to learn the how and why. We'll be right back. Thanks for tuning in. This is EIG, Milwaukee's philanthropic community, with your host, Jill Economo, on News Talk 1130 WISN. Welcome back. I'm your host, Jill Economo, and I'm talking with Sherry Tussler from the Hunger Task Force. So I said before the break that the Hunger Task Force is known to be an innovative organization. So let's dive into that a little bit. I understand that you have a working farm and you employ farmers to help grow and distribute your food. So tell us about that, like the types of foods and the various sources. Sure. About 10 years ago, we heard that they were going to close or shutter the Milwaukee County House of Correction Work Farm. It was a historic farm. It had been around since 1946, and inmates used to grow their own food. Um, And they would earn a day-for-day sentence commutation in order to get released early. Um, They decided to shutter that program and hire a food service company to make all of the meals as a cost savings measure, but they didn't have a plan for the 208 acres Mm. surrounding the prison. And so Hunger Task Force leased the space from Milwaukee County. It is a county park, but we use all of the buildings, including the barns and the outbuildings. We've got uh, half a dozen orchards. We operate a fish hatchery. And um, we grow everything literally from asparagus to zucchini. So there's 26 different crops. Um, And for us, it's an answer because we get to provide healthy foods for people. To Hunger Task Force, it's very, very important as a public health issue that the foods that we give are good for people. So we're asking people to think about not, for instance, donating ramen noodles, but instead donating some fresh foods or some um, snack foods for kids that are low in sugar. Um, The farm grows a half a million pounds of produce that is distributed absolutely free of charge to local food pantries, basically starting in May and going all the way until November. 
Wow. And do you employ the farmers then, too? Because they've fallen on tough times, I believe, too. So are you working with the farmers to help with that that work? Well, another innovation that we had, Jill, during the pandemic was we actually started buying the milk that was being spilled by dairy farmers. And so Hunger Task Force used donated money, more than a million dollars, to purchase milk and cheese and yogurt from farmers and farm cooperatives across the state of Wisconsin, and we gifted that food to some of our local partners. Nice. It made a huge difference. I had some farmers pull me aside at one point because they are a very quiet and stoic kind of people, and they said if we had not purchased their milk, they would not be farmers anymore. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Unfortunately, you hear a number of those stories uh, around, across the state, right? Yes. Well, you also have something called the Milwaukee model that you talked a little bit about in the previous segment. Um, And it's actually recognized nationally. And then this mobile market that, again, you talked briefly about. Um, Tell us more about those programs and maybe other programs that are unique to your organization. Sure. The mobile market is a single-aisle grocery store. Visually, it is a fifth-wheel pickup truck and a NASCAR trailer. Okay. <laughs> so oh, imagine fun. that. Okay. <laughs> that uh, piques interest, I think, yeah. when you pull in the neighborhood. Um, it's got a beaver tail that flips oh. down in the back, and we load it, and it's got stainless steel racking on the inside, coolers, and people walk through as a single-aisle grocery store. And so, again, that senior getting the stock box, the mobile market pulls up at the very same time. They're getting that shelf-stable box of healthy foods, but now they need some fresh fruit, some fresh vegetables, maybe a chicken breast for dinner. And so they go on board and they shop. So it's not a pantry. It's a grocery store. Okay. And it receives a federal grant, which breaks the price of produce by 50%. Nice. Most people say that they don't eat fresh produce because they can't afford it. Right, right. We make it affordable. And And do they have to show you anything that proves that they're needy? In the food pantries? At the soup kitchens and shelters, yes. Okay. At the grocery store, no. Okay. Everybody's welcome at the mobile market. We encourage all the people that want to shop at it to go ahead and shop at it because we know that we're making sure that they're healthy as well. Right. Okay? So the mobile market is an opportunity for your grandmother to take the elevator to the grocery store. Mm. So we bring the food to her, and that makes it so much easier for her. Um, So we're improving public health through the mobile market. The Milwaukee model um, was a term uh, coined by the USDA's regional office when they said that we had innovated around the summer meals program by bringing everybody together collaboratively and planning to make sure that no neighborhood went without access to summer meals. In the poorest neighborhoods of the city is where we should concentrate resources. But there are other smaller communities like West Dallas, as an example, or Cudahy that need summer meals that hadn't thought about it. And so we encourage them to go ahead and get involved with us. Um, and now we make sure that we're bringing the summer meals to them. Another really super cool innovation um, that we did this last year, nobody would have dreamed of it, the United Way of Milwaukee um, and Waukesha counties called us and said, we have DoorDash. Yes, you can have 2,000 door dashes a month. What do you need to dash? And I was like, oh, my. So we started door dashing stock box to seniors who were afraid to leave their house yeah. during the pandemic or who just didn't have transportation. And they might in the past have somebody called a proxy, which would be their son or daughter or friend picking up their box. 
No more proxy. DoorDash just shows up at your house with your box. Mm, very innovative. <laughs> well, and it makes me wonder, it's like, why do we have all these food pantries? Why don't we just DoorDash? Mm-hmm. And that may be a thing that we'll be looking at into the future. You started a, a precedent here. Well, our next guest is going to tell us more about her <laughs> idea around DoorDash. But Ooh, absolutely. there's a lead in there. Yes. <laughs> wow. Well, we certainly learned a lot about Milwaukee's only free and local food bank and Wisconsin's anti-hunger leader in uh, uh, the Hunger Task Force. If um, if someone is listening today uh, who would like to get involved with your mission, your vision, your purpose, what's the best way that they can support the Hunger Task Force? Well, there's a variety of ways. We always think about people as, you know, their time, their treasure, their talents, what do you want to do is what I usually ask people. I don't say, hey, would you like to write a check? Because some people want to write a check, but other people want to get involved in some way. Right. They want to volunteer at the farm. Wow. Mm-hmm. I met a farmer once, and he said, you get people to volunteer to weed your fields <laughs> in July? And I'm like, yeah, it's better than a day at the office, right? <laughs> and so I always ask, what do you got? And, you know, and some people may come and say, well, you know, traditionally I'm an accountant, but I don't want to do any more of that. I want to do something hands-on. And so come on down and volunteer. Come and see what we do. Um, I promise it will hook you, and you will find a way to get involved. It will be difference-making in your life. You'll find yourself on a cold winter's day looking up under the bridge to see if someone's there. And you'll find yourself wondering if that kid waiting at the bus stop has a decent coat on. And next time you see a senior at the grocery store, you'll wonder, how did they get there? And I wonder if they have enough money to pay. Mm. And it may change who you are. And so I encourage you just to get involved, change yourself for the better, find a way to make the community a safer, better place, and help us eliminate hunger and homelessness and maybe ultimately put the Hunger Task Force out of business. Mm, There you go. Well, I know there's a lot of people that like to be the boots on the ground. And again, donating, as you said, that's wonderful. I mean, no one is going to turn away somebody writing a check, but some people really want to be the boots on the ground, making a difference, meeting the people, uh, being involved uh, in the community. And also there's um, something that has become a little bit more popular is the corporate involvement. You know, like maybe a corporation wants to do a giving day or something. Are you working with any corporations in that regard? Kohl's Department Store sponsors our summer meals program. Um, Harley-Davidson sponsors our farm. Milwaukee Tool has been an up-and-coming presence and coming in and doing food sorts and participating at our farm. Johnson Controls has been around literally forever helping us out. And so there are those sort of stalwart corporations who always get what you do and figure out a way to sponsor or help you. Mm -hmm. Um, And then there are community events. Think about the Wisconsin State Fair. If you go to the State Fair on the first day, you can get in for two bucks if you bring two cans of food. That's a sweet deal. Yeah. yeah. Thank you, Wisconsin easy. State yeah, Fair. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. I mean, People have fun, right? <laughs> right. Um, you can go to Summerfest the, the first day. Between noon and 3, you get in for free mm-hmm. if you bring some food. Mm-hmm. So there's all kinds of different events that will happen um, with the world sort of reopening. And we look forward to seeing our volunteers come down. We look forward to finding ways to involve people. Um, and, you know, I guess I would just end by saying... Go to our website, hungertaskforce.org, click on that volunteer tab, click on that donate now tab, but find a way and make a difference for another person. 
Absolutely. I also want to add that the Hunger Task Force is the chosen charity for Ellen Becker Investment Group's first quarter giving program. So we talked again about how corporations are stepping up. Every quarter we have a charity of choice that we feature, and we have our clients and community participants um, come and and, uh, support that as well. And so you can certainly donate directly, as Sherry was talking about, or you can also stop by EIG and drop off your donations during our office hours. So, um, Sherry, why don't you give the contact information one more time, your website, your Facebook page, any way that people can reach out to Hunger Task Force? Pretty much the best way is to go to HungerTaskForce.org, or you can reach out to us at info at HungerTaskForce.org. Awesome. Thank you so much. Um, Well, we learned more about the Hunger Task Force and how they serve those with food insecurity in some unique and innovative ways, which certainly speaks to people living at or below the poverty line. What about some other issues people living at or below the poverty line deal with, like shelter and wellness in addition to food insecurity? Uh, When we come back from commercial break, we're going to learn about another nonprofit organization who is serving people in all of those areas. So stay tuned, and we'll be right back. You're listening to EIG, Milwaukee's philanthropic community, with your host, Jill Economo, on News Talk 1130 WISN. Welcome back to Milwaukee's Philanthropic Community, brought to you by Ellen Becker Investment Group. I'm your host, Jill Economo. My next guest today is Sharon Pomaville, Executive Director of the Sharing Center, who provides basic needs and empowers people of Western Kenosha County in their transition to independence. Welcome to the show today, Sharon. Wonderful. Thank you for having me. You're welcome. Uh, how did you get into the food insecurity space? You know, Why did you... What did you do professionally to land there? Yeah, um, so during or right after the uh, 2008 recession um, and the loss of what I thought was the best job that I had ever had in the arts and entertainment industry, I found myself taking any position that I could secure, and it ended up being in a field that I had no formal training in. It was about food security, food distribution, and social services. And I was really at a loss of how I was going to do this job well. What I did have, though, was I had a lifetime of experiences that kind of converged in a way that made doing this job well actually possible. I had been a single parent working uh, like a low-wage job. I had experience with folks who had AODA and mental health challenges. And I learned to navigate the social support networks in our community, like Food Share and Badger Care and other social programs. And eventually, myself rose out of that low income status and no longer needed those programs. But at the center, I began to draw on the knowledge of some local leaders, but most were only really kind of interested in holding their best practices and donors really close to them and just not so interested in assisting a sister agency in their community. That's unfortunate, but it is the case. Yeah, Yeah, and many pantries are, and there still are kind of in that competitive nature, which boggles my mind, Mm -hmm. but I I anticipate everything as a possibility to change as well. But once I'd exhausted all the avenues of help that I could find in Kenosha County, I remember years earlier driving through Milwaukee and passing this bright blue banner or billboard somewhere that said Hunger Task Force, and I thought, well, maybe maybe they would be able to lend a hand even just with some advice. So I did a little Google search. I thought, yep, this might be a good place to ask for some help. And I called, and they connected me directly to Sherry Tussler 
and we have been working side by side together for the last eight years. Mm. Well, that's certainly an example of taking your talents and your experiences and as you said, the, those converge, and, and now you're, you're doing something that's very fulfilling, I imagine. Yeah, absolutely. It's, I'm here in my 11th year, so Wonderful. I'm glad to, glad to still be in service in this way. Why don't you give us a little history lesson on the Sharing Center? So the Sharing Center was uh, founded a, just about 40 years ago on paper. I assume it was going on far, far more before that. Uh, the founders had moved to rural Kenosha County and realized the level of poverty in the area that they were living in, so they turned their camper into emergency housing, they turned their garage into a food pantry, and here we are 40 years later, the hub of all social services for western Kenosha County. And you only serve Kenosha County, right? Well, we we lie close to some county borders, so we do help people that are kind of outside of our territory uh, from the get-go, but we always make sure that we connect into the services that are closest to them and easiest to access. Okay. Now, mm-hmm. I don't live down in that area, but I find it interesting you've been around for, what, 40 years, you said? <laughs> yes. So if you're listening and you live in that area, this may be something that you were not aware of before. So it's great that we're we're drawing attention to the great things that you do. Um, you've been the director for 11 years now, you said. Mm-hmm. Um, how has your focus and the, the programs that you offer changed over the years? It's changed a lot, actually. So from the beginning, my focus was just how do I serve food? And a little while later, it turns to quantity, like could we do a higher quantity of food? Then we go to quality, like how could we provide a better quality of food that is uh, really supportive to overall health? But then a few years in, like most pantries do, they realize that you know, you're never going to end poverty or hunger by serving food. It just doesn't happen that way. It's an impossibility. And it's one of the reasons why I reached out to the Hunger Task Force. Like, how do we holistically meet a person's needs, help them become free of social programs, if at all possible? And how do we change policy to literally have a fighting chance at shifting the needle on poverty? And it makes me think of that um, that parable about, you know, feeding uh, a man a fish for a day versus f- teaching him how to fish. You know, you're, you're, you can certainly feed people today, but you're not going to be able to end the, the problem of food insecurity unless you're doing something towards that end. That's correct. So, yeah. yeah. I th- well, what best practices did they, the Hunger Task Force, provide for you that, that made the most difference in, in changing the way that you serve? Working at a policy level was the number one the number one piece, but definitely we we work a lot with equity, we work with food safety, uh, culturally appropriate service is very important, and then just mad collaboration. Like, we, we work a lot, um, too, with child hunger, which is high here, and we always know that unless we're collaborating and working together, there's there's far little that you can do alone in a silo, but collaboration is the key to really making a dent in everything that we are trying to change within our communities. Yeah, we we often talk about not one nonprofit being able to do it all, obviously. And and you mentioned that um, I had heard this a couple times that certain uh, nonprofits don't like to work together. And uh, one organization that works with nonprofits that I interviewed, they weren't a nonprofit themselves, but they served nonprofits. They said it was so frustrating because <laughs> there's enough out there for everybody. 
you know, you just, you're all, you have a common goal, and that is to just serve the people in your area in whatever capacity you do that. But it should not be a competing thing, you know, that if we collaborate, if we partner with other organizations for a common goal, you're able to um, accomplish great things, I think. I absolutely agree with you on that. We found that here in Kenosha County, we've um, brought together what we call it the Food Pantry Network, just a way to start to engage the pantries who are in our community. And the longer we meet and the more often we meet, the more we just really begin to build those alliances and just, again, share those best practices and really have started to really transform the face of food pantries for Kenosha County. Yeah, I think that should be a model that a a number of different nonprofits use, you know, gather together on a monthly, quarterly basis, whatever, and just share best practices and, you know. I think that would be great. Um, You mentioned that there's a a high child poverty rate in rural Kenosha County and that you partnered with the Hunger Task Force. And you did something that had never been done before in the state of Wisconsin. Not only did it move the needle, but it squashed hunger. And it involved a gorilla. That's correct. (laughs) Well, our audience is going to have to wait until after the break to hear the rest of the story. So stay tuned. And we'll be right back. Thanks for tuning in. This is EIG, Milwaukee's philanthropic community, with your host, Jill Economo, on News Talk 1130 WISN. Welcome back to Milwaukee's Philanthropic Community, brought to you by Ellen Becker Investment Group. I'm your host, Jill Economo, Director of Community Outreach, and I'm talking in this last segment with Sharon Pomaville. Executive Director of the Sharing Center. All right, Sharon, (laughs) don't keep (laughs) us in suspense any longer. You partnered with the Hunger Task Force to move the needle in terms of squashing hunger, and it involved a gorilla. So clue us in on that story. It sure did involve a gorilla. So when the pandemic began, the USDA had suspended some of the rules for school meal service which opened the doors wide to new ways to meet students' true needs and for rural students, for us specifically. Sherry and I worked with uh, Chicago's Gourmet Gorilla, a company that creates high-quality school meals, and we created a system by which rural Kenosha children could receive home-delivered, high-quality summer meals at no cost to the families. Think of it like the blue apron of summer meals. It was fresh, healthy food, that kids loved, that needed some preparation, but it also included recipes and it included spices. And the program was eventually called Gorilla to Go. Gorilla to Go. So it sounds like it was a success, yes? Absolutely. We registered right at the beginning of registration the max for this pilot program in just a few days, about 1,500 students. And in the end, through the summer, we had served 86,000 healthy home-delivered meals to rural Kenosha students. It was just an absolute hit. That's awesome. Yeah. Parents loved it. Kids loved it. And we loved it because not only did it help alleviate hunger, but it actually proved that the barrier of rural access to programs is real. Like in prior years, our school, summer school meal programs, which were very few and far between, would have two or three students a day access meals, and those would be the kids that actually lived across the street from the school. So we went from two or three kids a day getting fed during the summer to 1,500 children a day. That's what a pilot program that's innovative can do. Wow, talk about impact. It was a trip. Um, 
You should tell them the story about the mom who had two kids and got the box. Yes. So we have um, a a woman who had registered for the program a little bit earlier. There was one school that was doing it a few months early before the summer began. And she was actually uh, somebody that was interning for me as well at our center. And she had told me that her kids would, like, race to the truck when it would come they were super protected over their brocks, and she said they ate food that was in this box that they would have never touched oh. in her lifetime that she would put on that kitchen table. She said it was like the highlight of their entire summer when that box of food came absolutely and specifically for them. And, you know, we take that for granted, I think, sometimes. I was talking to someone unnamed a while back who said that they had never had fresh pineapple growing up, and I thought, fresh pineapple. I mean, we we have that obviously in season, but I mean, it's not something that is considered a delicacy, but for them it was. And I think we just don't think about those things. Some of the fresh foods that you said the Hunger Task Force provides, some people just don't ever have access to that. That's correct. And I have to tell you, we've been hearing from new people coming into our pantry lately saying they're coming in specifically because the cost of food has grown so much that they can't afford the fresh fruits and vegetables that they want and need in some of the meat products. Yeah, again, I think, as I mentioned before, they said uh, the CPI for food has just skyrocketed. Uh, Also for gas, obviously, and shelter. But food is, is, I think they said at 6% or something, something crazy. Yes, we've actually seen it, you know, grow in the the grocery stores. Um, One of the things that we are going to be doing at Hunger Task Force and sharing along with literally another 130 organizations across the state of Wisconsin is utilize um, American uh, Rescue Plan Act dollars supported to us um, through a gift from um, the Department of Ag, Trade, and Consumer Protection. And we are going to take that gourmet gorilla idea and turn it into a box of fresh foods that will stimulate Wisconsin's agricultural economy while simultaneously getting those boxes across rural Wisconsin. Mm. We're calling it the Badger Box. Oh, how appropriate. So it's going to have a cute little girl badger on it, which hopefully go. will be just as exciting <laughs> as that gourmet gorilla box was. <laughs> but the cool part is, is not only will groups like Sharon's be recipient organizations of those boxes of fresh food, but we are going to be targeting the purchase of foods from small and medium-sized family farms disadvantaged farmers, small and medium-sized food producers, Mm -hmm. the people who are putting the food on our table every single day and who need our support, and not those big, fat corporations. Mm -hmm. And so in doing so, we hope to maintain those family farm operations, create local food systems, and make sure that local people, including rural and Hunger Task Force's urban folk who are living in food deserts get the same access to Wisconsin foods that are fresh and grown locally. Mm, That's fantastic. Yeah. Um, I'm just thinking about innovation and how Hunger Task Force was talking about ways they innovate and some of the different things that you at the Sharing Center are doing. Is there any chance that there's going to be a Gorilla to Go Part 2? We're super super hopeful there will be. Right now, um, us as uh, service agencies are waiting to hear about any federal waivers since we're hearing that potentially they could all um, expire on July 1st. So we are really looking at, um, you know, I asked yesterday on our Hunger Relief Federation call why 
are certain policies in place for summer meal programs? Like, why do you have to sit down and eat the meal? And why can't it be delivered? Like, in general, these were the some of the uh, rules that were suspended during COVID. And one of the answers was best they could figure out they've just been there a long time. So when it comes to policy work, we want to look at those policy pieces that no longer make sense, why they were put in place in the first place. Yeah. Look at the data from this Gorilla to Girl program that we went from two children a day to 1,500 children a day with just the change of allowing those foods to be delivered to somebody's home. So we really want to look at those policy pieces and the policy side of hunger and poverty. So we take that data and we just make a really strong case for rural accessibility as much as we can, work with the Hunger Task Force to really kind of incorporate data from across the state of Wisconsin. Um, we want to work, too, here for us uh, on a local level to inform about national best practices when it comes to reducing poverty. Those are some of the things we'll be looking to do as well. We always want to advocate heavily about living wages or livable wages. We work on multiple levels to increase, like, the housing stock in Kenosha County, which that lack of has caused, like, the cost of apartments to rise so much that for many it's unaffordable. Mm. And so we wonder if it's a homelessness problem. It's sometimes more just a housing problem, yeah. not necessarily homelessness. Wow. Well, you got lots of great stuff that you're doing there in Kenosha County where you're making a difference. I appreciate that, yeah. yeah. We have a myriad of programs that they all are intended to keep folks from becoming homeless and then the other goal that we are always overarching that as well as, you know, in any way possible to work to decrease childhood trauma. Uh, and that could be a whole other show in and of itself, yes. right? Um, we're, in wrapping up the interview, one last question I have for you. What uh, We always like to throw out a call to action to our audience uh, so our listeners have ways that uh, ideas that they can uh, – think about to, to somehow make a difference. So what would your call to action be for our audience today? What we often get asked is, what do you need? And oftentimes it's in reference to maybe some peanut butter or some diapers. And honestly, you know, the greatest need that we have is just people to support both our time-intensive existing programs around homeless housing or our advocacy program. So advocacy in the sense of making sure that everybody who comes through our doors gets connected to the programs and services that they need and hopefully in some point will no longer be in need of social programs to, to live a full life. Advocacy, though, it takes a lot of time, it takes people, and it takes a skill set. And some needs can be met with a jar of peanut butter. And however, though, like financially supporting our overall work is crucial and volunteers willing to be an advocate in the day-to-day lives of people is how anybody can make a dent in poverty with us now, every day, all year long. If you visit our website, which is the sharingcenter.net, there is a list of all the different opportunities you could be a part of to support our program. And I always tell people, if you don't see it on the website, call me. And we will find a way to make something happen that fits well for you. Awesome. Everybody can do something, right? Absolutely. Big or small. Uh, well, I want to thank my guest today, Sharon Pomaville, Executive Director of the Sharing Center. Thank you for participating today. And Sherry Tussler from the Hunger Task Force. Uh, thank you both for sharing uh, how you're helping serve our community in a variety of ways. Thank you for being here. 
If you'd like further information about what we talked about today or if you'd like to be considered as a guest on the show, you can email me at jill at ellenbecker.com or you can call our office at 262-691-3200. Join us next Sunday morning at 10 for Milwaukee's Philanthropic Community brought to you by Ellen Becker Investment Group to learn more about the ways people and organizations are contributing to making our community a great place to live and work. You can tune in to News Talk 1130 on your radio. You can go to Newstalk1130.com on your computer, or you can listen on your phone via the iHeartRadio app. I also encourage you to visit our website at ellenbecker.com to listen to previously aired shows, and we also have our shows available on demand. So anybody can listen anywhere uh, by using Spotify, Stitcher, Google Play, or Apple Podcasts. So my call to action is to give some thought to if, how, and why you might want to donate to the mission and the vision of either of our nonprofits highlighted today. We've shared many different ways that you can use your time, your talents, your resources to do something, and I'm sure anything you do would be much appreciated. So find a way to be a blessing and give a blessing each and every day. Thank you for listening today. Go out and make it a great day.